Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. You're listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective Podcast. Between now and the Pirates' scheduled season opener on August 29th against Marshall, we will take a daily trip down memory lane as we will talk to former East Carolina football players about their path to ECU, their time in the purple and gold, and what they're up to now. Now let's talk Pirate football. Welcome into the Sports Objective as we have 50 Pirates in 50 days. And first we have Kyle from the Grange. Barbara, how are you, sir? What's going on, Dave? How are things in Martin County? Are you are you bunkering down and getting your hurricane flies and getting ready for Tuesday? Yes. I wish I knew how many storms I made it in this house, but uh, a lot. Hopefully this will be another good one where we have nothing to worry about, but wow. we'll see how that goes. I a hope lot so. of power outages are coming up, per se. Yeah, no doubt about it. Bubba Rosenbaum, how are you? I'm doing well, guys. The thunderstorm just came through here, just uh, north of Charlotte. Yeah, I, I think it's probably coming our way. Uh, Bubba, we've got a very special, actually two great guests here with us tonight. Uh, father and son playing for the Pirates, and uh, very honored to have them on, and I'll let you introduce them. Absolutely. Welcome into the show. Um, Tim and Cam Marshman. Tim played for the Pirates in the Art Baker and Bill Lewis eras, 88 to 91. And Cam played for Coach Ruffin McNeil and Scotty Montgomery from 2015 to 2018. Gentlemen, welcome in. Thank you. How you doing? Good to be here. Good to be here. Glad to have you gentlemen on. It's uh, not every day. I know uh, we had the Strucks. And uh, now, now you guys, it's always great to have the legacy crew, the father and son, uh, obviously. And uh, maybe Cam, if you have uh, – Sons out there, we love for them to play football for the Pirates. We'll just keep it going, that pipeline going, the Marshman pipeline going. But uh, I guess we'll start with you, Tim. Uh, talk about your time. Uh, first of all, how did you decide to be a Pirate? Um, it was it was it was very interesting. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, being recruited, I went on a couple of visits. Uh, you know, back then, I you know was a Carolina fan uh, growing up and and watching them. So. I, I kind of, oh, I'm going to Carolina. I'm going to Carolina. Um, went on a couple of visits. Went to University of South Carolina. Went to Carolina. Um, went to a couple of smaller schools, and but they just didn't feel right. When I got to South Carolina, um, it was interesting. My brother Urban, rather big guy. Uh, we get out the car. You know, at that time I'm five ten, one hundred and fifty nine pounds, soaking wet. And my brother, he's about six two about 240 and muscles jumping off everywhere. And so get out the car and the coach looks, he said, um, well, welcome to campus. We're going to love having you on campus. But he was talking to my brother, Urban. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of felt, I don't think they want me here. I, I don't fit their criteria here. And uh, went to did, your brother, did your brother play football? He did. He, uh, he, he didn't play in college, but he, well, he played one year in Elizabeth city state. Okay. Uh, he was a very uh, prolific running back, uh, as a matter of fact, his son, my nephew Jeffrey Marshman, was recruited real heavily by uh, Steve Logan um, for East Carolina, but he decided to go to North Carolina A and T. Um, but he was, and I was, I was really hoping he was going to go go down to ECU. I would love to have seen him play uh, in the purple and gold. Um, and then went to Carolina, and they were going through a coaching change that year, and and coach came in. I think that was. 
They was were, that Mac Brown? They were come when Mac Brown was coming in, and he right. called me in and talked to me. He said, "We'd love to have you here, but uh, we want you to come in as a preferred walk on in the in the spring in the fall, and then we'll put you on scholarship in the spring." I'm like, uh, "Don't think so." <laughs> went back to high school, talked to a couple of my coaches, uh, Coach Shaw. He's like, "Tim, East Carolina's been really um interested in you and uh, Coach um uh." Trees back at the time, uh, came in, talked with me, went down there, had some guys that went to school. I went to high school with were already there, Gerard Moody, um, Don Gaylord, a couple of those guys, and got down there and just fell in love with the campus and everything, said, this is where I want to be. Plus, it was close to home. You know, I could go, I'm, I was a mama's boy, so I could, you know, 45, <laughs> hour and a half, hour drive tops, so I could see mama. No doubt. And that's, uh, that's one of the things I think that's going to make it interesting with Coach Houston. We'll talk to you guys about uh, your thoughts about him later in the show. But, uh, certainly I think with Coach Houston now, a lot of the guys that may have gone to the states and the Carolinas or other schools, when Pirate Nation gets back playing pirate football the way we are, then a lot of the guys that will start, I think the local guys will start, not all of them, but I think some of them will stay home. Oh, definitely. And uh, also, uh, so you picked uh, when you picked East Carolina, you you came under Art Baker. I, I know at the end of his uh, tenure there, and you had uh, Bill Lewis. Uh, what was it like with that coaching change? Um, it was very. Uh, Art Baker was a a player's coach. You know, he was he he knew how to pump you up. You know, make you feel good. He had the discipline, but it wasn't that. Like Bill Lewis, kind of put that hey. Not fearing you, but that, that, that faith in you that you could just do anything. Um, one of the biggest changes though was just simply the conditioning aspect of it and the, the expectations. Um, Art Baker had expectations, but Bill Lewis expectations were way up here. And it was, you live up to them or you leave pretty much is, you know, what we got. Um, and it, but it, it was an interesting culture change because when the coaches came in, I also had a position change as well. I went back from offense back to defense. And uh, so that made me a lot more comfortable as well. Talk about, talk about, talk about that when you first came in here. Uh, Bill's first staff was unbelievable. You, you, okay. had, you had Steve Logan and Steve Shankweiler, but you also had um, Mark Ricks. Mark Ricks, yes. There several other people. Chuck uh, Pagano. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it was an all-star staff. Yeah, it was it was a loaded staff, and uh, Ron Cooper uh, was up was up there. Um, Jagosinski, uh, Jag, Jag. Yeah, it, it was a loaded staff, and those guys, man, they I just they they motivated you, and they they I learned more about the game of football under them that that when they came in, it was just it was amazing how they could just instill that. The knowledge of the game. I had the physical aspect of the game, but the knowledge of the game and why things happen and the, the look fors and the little nuances of the game. Um, and, and, you know, it just watching Pagano as he went through. And I, I remember sitting there talking to Cameron one year when Pagano was the head coach at, um, with the Colts. And I was like, that was my DB coach right there. You know, he was like, oh, cool, you know? Yeah. And Tim, I had a question for you. Uh, this was day practice number three today, I believe. Uh, they went ahead and got a third practice in because of the storm coming. Um, 
talk about the fall camp. I just want to get your take on it being this fresh in our minds right now and hope to God we have a season. We'll talk about that later too. But uh, how was fall camp under uh, with Baker and Lewis? Baker's fall camp was interesting. Um, you know, like I said, he was more of a player coach. I remember under Baker, we used to have the Pepsi breaks, Pepsi and watermelon breaks, you know, and Pepsi was a big sponsor. And, you know, yeah. it would be 98, 99 degrees and, and coach like, okay, take it to the pool, gentlemen. Like, take it to the pool. We kind of looking around like, what you mean? He's like, I'm going to the pool. Bill Lewis was no taking it to the pool. Bill Lewis was like, hey, you keep going. I I remember watching Bill Lewis, you know, the thunder and lightning, uh, and he's sitting there timing the difference in it because it had to be a certain amount of seconds in between that for you to leave the field. You know, if that was Art Baker, we would have been gone on the first sign of thunder. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, that was one of the biggest things. And then coming in, uh, when Bill came in, he also brought a new strength coach in. So we went from running the, uh, 1640s, my freshman year under Art Baker to run the mile and, uh, the one tens. And that was a different type of conditioning because I am not a distance runner and the mile was not for me. I mean, I went all day long, but the mile, my buddies still laugh at me to this day. And I remember Coach Connors, he, you know, we had six minutes, 15 seconds to run the mile in. I came in at 6.14. And he, wow. put, he put me in conditioning, some morning conditioning. Nick, I'm like, Coach, why you put? He was like, because you low. I'm like, but you gave me 6.15. I made the time. But it, it was just different. And it was, I was in uh, morning conditioning under him for about a week because he was like, we're not going to accept that. If you can do better, you're going to push yourself to do better. And that was one of the big difference for me. Did they, the did, did coach seriously, you said Pepsi and watermelon. Did, did they seriously give you guys Pepsi instead of water or Gatorade? Oh, seriously. We would drink, we would drink Pepsi sometime doing, doing break. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've never heard that about Coach Baker. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk to all of Robert Jones. Pepsi break, gentlemen. <laughs> It sounds more they, like you're going to the they, country store than it does they, the practice. Did they throw you a pack of nabs with it too? Probably uh, <laughs> that was it was towards the end of practice. You know that you know we would go through periods, so maybe that last period or when you run off the field. But I, I remember that because I remember when we would get to camp, they would give us these t-shirts. Like I said, Pepsi was a big sponsor, so you yeah. had to, uh, we would get the Pepsi Cola t-shirts, and you know nobody was on campus, so all of us walking around. I think I still have a picture of me, Robert Jones, um, Larry Ferrer, a couple of the guys in their uh, Pepsi T-shirts. Yeah, that was back when Minji's Bottling Company was a huge part of East Carolina. And uh, obviously, Minji's Coliseum, you know, and uh, Minji's Bottling Bottles Pepsi. Yes. So, uh, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really hey, awesome. Money. Sorry, Dave. Uh, I had a little bit of a lag there, but uh, Tim, you referenced the the one tens, and uh, did you guys ever run? You run the three hundreds, you know, with Coach C. Oh, and yeah, I saw something the other day. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I don't know if it was maybe one of the uh, Pirate Time Machine pieces that uh, had been written by Ron Cherubini on Bonesville, or actually, I think it was an interview with Coach C. He was on Marcus Crandall's podcast, okay. and he was talking about uh, when. Y'all went to Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. The coach Lewis kept saying, Coach C uh, or Coach Connors, how, how many more? How many more? It's yes. Just a couple more, just a couple more that you guys yeah. ran 12 of them. We, we, that was our, oh. we ran 12 300s in time. 
And uh, we were in summer school, uh, summer conditioning, we were running at 300. And so I, uh, that was another thing I, I talked to Cam about when he was going through the recruiting and looking at East Carolina. Look, Coach Connors was there. I said, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> One thing, 300, get ready for him. Because I, I still have Coach Connors' workout book that he gave us with, you know, everything in there. Like, if you want to gain weight, uh, maintain weight, to work out with it. And uh, I would let Cameron use it and, and go through that when he was in high school. But those uh, those three hundreds were something special. Uh, the one tens were they were tough as well. But those three hundreds were something special. Yeah, and, and one thing that we have, uh, Tim, and, and I know uh, that's cool, uh, Cam, that you had both of y'all had the same. I hadn't thought about that. The same uh, strength and conditioning coach, but the very fact that one of the things I know about Coach Connors is that I've heard so many times is that. The players that you guys were not tired in the fourth quarter. When you think that uh, you would be tired, you guys, because of your tremendous strength coach, I'm a huge fan of his, um, that he had you prepared and ready. Yes, he definitely had you prepared. Um, the fourth quarter was ours. Um, and, you know, I, I, and I look back on uh, different games that we lost my freshman year. We were we would play well for three quarters. Then we would fade out in that fourth quarter. And then when Bill Lewis came in under with Coach Connors, and the next year I think we went five, five, and one the first year under Bill Lewis, um, we were a lot more competitive in the fourth quarter. And then the following year we became more competitive until, you know, it just it, it built because he, he then created that culture. And with Bill Lewis instilling, we believe and, you know, we can do this, and then Connors having us physically prepared. That was, that was just a deadly combination because we always had the athletes. We always had the talent, but we just needed that little edge. And uh, Coach Connors uh, gave us the physical edge, and, and Bill Lewis and his other coaching staff gave us that mental edge. Cam, um, growing up, how much did your dad talk about uh, his days at East Carolina and, oh, and okay. uh, the, the Peach Bowl year and all that kind of stuff? All the time. I mean, we got the jersey here. We got the ring here. You know, uh, when his boys would come in town, they get together, and I basically felt like I was at the Peach Bowl. So, I think I think, <laughs> I think I've uh, seen the Peach Bowl at least three times. You know, I heard all the stories about him, practices, whatever. So, uh, oh, I was there, Bubba. You were there. I was there. I, Kyle, you watched it on TV, right? Actually, I didn't even watch it on TV. I wasn't a pirate yet. I was, uh, you know, uh, what was I? was uh January 92 I was 11. Uh, I didn't become a uh that's right, years 94. That's right. 94 uh I was 13 or 14. Um can talk about your your recruiting process coming in East Carolina. Obviously your dad being a pirate, I'm sure you grew up going to some East Carolina games and and uh t- talk about your recruiting. Did you always want to be a pirate cuz your dad played oh, at yeah. ECU or okay. 100%. So I love ECU. Obviously I went back all the time. Um I think that's the main games we went to really was ECU games. Um, I know as a kid growing up, it was like a treat to go to an ECU game. I'd wake up, they're like, all right, we're going to the game tomorrow. And I'm the first one out of the bed. I got all the gear on. I'm ready to go. Um, And it's a funny story. One of my cousins, she stayed with us one night. We were supposed to be going to the ECU game the next day. And she was one of those people who wasn't a morning person. She didn't want to wake up. She wanted to get out of bed. So we wake up the next morning. I'm ready to go. We can't get her out of bed, and we ended up missing the game. So Missing I, the game? You just leave her ass at home. 
missing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was mad at her for a bit. <laughs> we yeah. that. So, um, yeah, I love ECU. I always wanted to be a pirate. And going into well, coming out of high school, I actually didn't have any offer. I didn't have an ECU offer. I had some smaller schools. And I was actually committed to Davidson College to play a uh, corner there. Um, like I said, I had some other interests. And I was constantly in contact with ECU. Um, I went down for camp, had a great showing at camp. And they told me, they were like, look, you can come here. We'll give you money in the springtime. And uh, that was kind of where my relationship was with ECU. So I went ahead, committed to uh, Davidson. And in my head, I had kind of told myself, I'm going to go to Davidson, get my feet wet, and then transfer into ECU. So that was my plan. Um, then I think it was maybe two months after I committed to Davidson, they had a big coaching change. My DB coach actually started coaching in CFL. And at that time I was kind of like, maybe it's a sign. So I went ahead and decommitted from them and told ECU I was going to come down as a preferred walk-on. I wouldn't have to try out or anything. So, uh, just go down. And they told me I first day on campus, I'd come out to the practice field and go ahead and start there. So. That was kind of my journey getting to ECU, and I haven't regretted it since. So, who recruited you, Cam? Was it Rick Smith or? It was uh, Dave Nichols. Dave Nichols. Okay. So yeah, he came. He came up to my high school a couple of times. Like I said, I talked to him very often. Um, but yeah, they gave me that preferred uh, preferred walk-on deal, and just took it and ran with it. And Cam, you had an interesting situation too. Your legacy recruit, your dad, going there. But also you had a situation where you come in, it's kind of, I thought about that, Bubba and I were talking about that right before the interview. I didn't think about it, make the connection, but both of y'all had a coaching change one year after you got there. You had uh, Ruff, unfortunately, was let go, which we've talked about that many times on the podcast, how we feel about that. And then you have Coach Mo coming in. How did you, how was that transition from you have, uh, the coaching staff that wanted you to the coaching staff that's brand new that replaced them? It was um, it was definitely difficult. I know when I first got there, um, that first season under – I mean, yeah, the first season under Ruff, I was obviously on the practice team, kind of scout team for the defense. I played a lot of receiver there, and they loved me. Um, actually, after the first week on campus, like I said, I went in as a DB. First week on campus after being on the scout team at receiver, they were like, look, we're putting you on the offensive side of the ball. We love you. Um, so I started playing receiver a lot, and – um, towards the end of the season, I talked with Coach Nichols and Coach Mo and I mean, Coach Ruff, and they were like, look, we love what you did this season. So I was basically looking at a scholarship in the springtime. So um, obviously after that season ended, Coach Ruff got fired or whatever, and then a new staff came in, and I was basically starting completely over. I didn't have the relationship with them. I mean, I knew Coach Mo from when he was at Duke, but – Outside of that, it was completely starting over, and I had to work my way back up. So um, it was difficult. I know I was hurt when Coach Ruff left. I love Coach Ruff, loved his staff. Um, so uh, I think it kind of hurt me more mentally than anything, uh, just kind of looking at it and saying I was this close, and then I'm back to square one. So it was tough, but it is what it is. Yeah. Can you talk about the differences in the practices between uh, the way – Coach his staff ran practices versus how Coach Montgomery and his staff yeah. uh, ran practices. It was completely different with Coach Ruff. Um, me and my friends always joke about it. Coach Ruff's practices seemed like they were like four hours, so we're out there. <laughs> we weren't fast tempo, but we got a lot of work in. But they took time, like 
if we were on special teams, after special teams, we would kind of come together. They'd coach it up on the field. Um, so it was just stretched out. And it was in the middle of the day. So I think we would be on the field around 2 o'clock. And it seemed like we didn't get to the house until like 7 by the time everything wow. was finished. Um, but then when Coach Mo came in, his idea was he told us from day one, he was like, look, we're going to go out on the field. We're going to get it in. And then we'll be off the field. And I think we were only out there for an hour and a half or two hours tops. But it was the fastest practice I've ever been a part of. Um, even between periods, like Dad said, we had 16 periods of practice. Each period was maybe four or five minutes. I can't remember what it was. But even between periods, just the transition, we had to be running. You could not walk on the field at all. And it was just back to back to back. And then, like I said, Coach Ruff did a lot of coaching on the field. With them, it was, we'll go ahead and do all the practice. Whatever happens, happens. And then we'll fix it in the classroom. So we spent a lot more time in the uh, in the film study room. He ran it more like an NFL practice, where his coach Ruff yeah. was doing more hands, and his staff was doing more hands-on teaching. Which I mean, and I never played. Both you guys did, and Bubba, you did. It seems that the college level that I mean, I would guess you're developing and, and you're you're continuing to develop. So it seems to me, slower practice, more hands-on instruction would be more beneficial than a quick practice and film study. Yeah, I think so, too. I know a lot of guys, um, it's just different seeing it in front of you and then looking at it on the computer screen or a big projector or whatever. I mean, even seeing formations and you're trying to read the defense, it looks perfect on the computer screen. Like, I can tell you any defense on the computer screen, but once you get out there and the play is running and you got to find a safety, find a corner, figure out what everybody's doing, it's a lot different. So um, I, I prefer the kind of, on the field kind of coaching style, but you get used to both of them, and I'm not mad at either one. It, it taught me both sides of it. So, Cam, I had a question for you too. Is uh, we always joke around here with we love uh, Rick Smith, but he always tell me you got to do it live. Did how much did you guys uh, under Rough uh, versus Mo? How as far as tackling is concerned, that's one of the fundamentals of the game. You got to know how to tackle. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do that. As Coach Smith would say, you gotta do that live. How much did you do as far as, uh, tackling drills under, um, Ruff and McNeil versus Coach Mo? Coach Ruff, we hit the ground a lot more in practice. Um, even, I think it was at the end of every Wednesday or Thursday, we would have completely live. It's all the way to the ground or whatever, just kind of full speed. With Coach Mo, he brought in the kind of NFL way about it and right. he told us, we're not going to hit the ground during the week. So everything was tag off. Most of the time, the most we did was uh, thud up. So we had the DBs kind of come up, wrap you up. But we rarely hit the ground with Coach Mo, um, especially in that first year. The first year, like you would almost get punished if you tackled somebody. Or oh, my God. And then he kind of started scaling it back a little bit. And we got we started getting a little more physical, but it was completely different with Ruff. Ruff hey, Tim, did – Tim, did you have that where you uh, you didn't tackle in practice? Oh, no, I, I remember when he told me that. I, I had, like, this look on from, like, uh, I, I remember uh, our practice on Sunday, you know, after the game, we would do conditioning and stuff. Monday, I think we were open, injury, you know. Then Tuesday, right. we were live Tuesday and Wednesday. Right. For at least six or seven periods. I mean, we go offense live, defense live, special team live. And those Tuesday practices were the longest. 
And uh, and I remember even in angle tackle drills. I mean, it was like, you know, they wanted to hear some pads popping, and you know, I, <laughs> so when when Cameron came home was telling me that kind of stuff, you know, at the first I'm like, oh, I don't know about this, you know. <laughs> well, I I've never been in the NFL. I heard some guys talk, and I you know I went down to a couple of practices, and you know the pace of the practice was fast. You know, when I was watching my man, I'm like, man, this thing is fast. Um, but I'm like, when are they going to hit? When are you going to tackle, you know, give me some monkey in the middle. Of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, we wanted to hit some thug, but I, I remember we had many a days of hitting, you know, uh, Dave Daniels and uh, Adrian Barnhill and, and Willie Lou coming through there. I, you know, I was at, at the, the first year, I was glad I was on offense at that time. And then I, when I went back to defense, I was like, okay. But then I was like, man, I got to hit these boys now, you know. And I remember I said, I hit Dave Daniels enough in high school from we went to Rose High and I went to Northern National. We met, you know, twice a yeah. twice a year. So, um, but yeah, it was it was we we did some thudding up, but not much, you know. That was usually Thursday when we were in shorts. You were thud up, but other than that, you were you were live. Tim, what are the main yeah, Go ahead, Bo. We have some of your uh, family, friends, and uh, other Pirate fans chiming in. Um, you referenced uh, Jeffrey Marshman earlier. He says, thanks for the shout-out, Unc. <laughs> also, Renee Davis, and then also Virginia. And my sister. My sister mother right there. And then you had um, Pirate fan Mike Radford, who's part of our tailgate party, who's actually a wrestler at East Carolina. He said it's not possible for you guys to understand the impact you and your team had on young Pirate fans. Uh, here's one example. My first son was eight at the Peach Bowl. He dreamed of being a Pirate. And the Pirate thing didn't work out, but the work necessary to play college football did. He went on to be a punter and kicker at Richmond. And um, – so just thank you from the bottom of his heart, and he'd love to have you at our tailgate sometime. Oh, definitely. We'd love to be there. Um, that's Campbell. Cool. <laughs> somebody else you know well. And, uh, <laughs> that's cool. Veronica Barnes here. Great interview. I'm learning a lot. Uh, I know, uh, Kyle, you had a question for Tim. Yeah, Tim, uh, what did it mean for you to watch Cam as a pirate? I mean, getting get to see your son. In the purple and gold had to be uh, had to be a little surreal for you. It was. It was. Um, you know, I I remember when he was going through the recruiting trip, and everybody was like, "Oh, you're gonna make him go to East Carolina." I'm like, "No, I'm not gonna make him." But in the back of my mind, I'm like, "Please go to East Carolina." <laughs> um, but I, you know, I would, we we did a lot of visits and a lot of camps, and you know, if he wanted to go somewhere, we went. You know, I wasn't gonna force him to be a pirate, um, but I was hoping really hoping that he was going to be one. And um, when he, you know, when he put that purple and gold on and, and the, I remember the first time I saw him come out onto the field, I, I think I had a tear in my eye. Um, it was just, it was very special. You know, I'd seen uh, Robert and Zay go through it. I seen um, uh, Hart and uh, Terrell, his son Terrell go through it. And, you know, I talked with them, but it's, you know, it's just a, it's a different feeling uh, to, to watch him out there. And, you know, at the same time, I was nervous. You know, I was, you know, I was, I was extremely proud as a parent, but I was also extremely nervous as a parent because I'm like, okay, this is my 18 year old son 
And he's playing some kids of 23 and 24 who looking at making this their job, you know, in a few months. And so that that was a little nerve wracking, but it was, I mean, it it was one of the best feelings I had. I think, you know, my wedding and watching him being born, that that's it follows those two very closely. No doubt about it. You guys have had time to watch uh, obviously the the current uh, the current staff with Coach Mike Houston. Just want to get from a father and son, obviously playing for the Pirates, former Pirates. Uh, what is your take on Coach Mike Houston and his staff recruiting and uh, things now for the program? I think it's uh, heading back to where we need to be. Um, I know I've talked to a lot of guys. Obviously, I'm still good friends with a lot of people on the team, and they seem to love it. They think it's going in the right direction. Um, I know especially his recruiting, he seems like he's doing a really good job recruiting, bringing in some guys from what we got, Alabama, Arkansas, so some bigger schools. Um, so hopefully, I mean, we saw a lot of flashes over last year, mm-hmm. especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I think we got some uh, good to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with uh, what he's saying, that is um, the trajectory is going in the right uh, direction. Um, he's bringing uh, that that pirate pride back, um, you know, just, just listening to him talk and interact and, uh, with the players, it's, it seems a, a little bit different level than it's been. The enthusiasm is there. And, um, he just, he just seems like a no nonsense. Let's work and let's get it done. Uh, we, you know, we're not going to turn this thing around in a day, but we're going to turn it around. And I think that's what he's, he's, he's heading into. And when I see the different recruits coming in, I'm like, man, he's 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 doing he's doing some good recruiting there. Uh, I, I just can't wait to see these young guys on the field and and uh, doing doing great things in the future. And one thing I know about Mark Houston is he seems like I mean, and I guess anybody involved in football is a competitor, but he seems like he hates to lose. And then so I mean, there's just something about that. Cam, you, was your senior season 18? Is that right? Yeah, it was 18. What what did it mean to you to beat North Carolina? Oh, it was crazy. Um, that game, it's like a couple games that I remember just engraved in my mind. It's that game, the NC State game, my, I think it was my redshirt sophomore year. Um, but those two games were just ridiculous. I mean, on the field, it was hard for us to hear. Like, it was people everywhere. And it was, it was just one of those feelings that you can't describe. Like, it, when we walked on the field and Fans are yelling. They got the uh, the flags flying or whatever. It was it was just crazy to see. Um, we played a great game. It was like everything was clicking. And after, after we won that game, I honestly thought we were we were on the way up. Um, so <laughs> things obviously changed a little bit. But at that point in time, I was like, look, this is what I came to ECU for. Like this is what I love, and we're in a great position. So it was it was really cool. Yeah, and the week before you guys lost to A and T. I mean, you talk about in, in the in the span of one week, you had you lost A and T and then beat North Carolina. I mean, what, what a range of emotions! Right, right. That A and T game was crazy. Um, obviously, we had the thunderstorms the night, the first night, and we ended up sitting in the locker room until I think it was eleven thirty, eleven forty-five. They wouldn't let us leave, and then I, we thought just the game was going to be canceled. We're going to send everybody home. Then. Uh, I think it was Coach Mo or one of the assistants came in. He was like, look, everybody got 30 minutes. We're going to load up the buses and we're going to Raleigh. And everybody's looking like, why are we going to Raleigh and the game's in Greenville? Um, but 
We we loaded up the buses. Everybody got their bags. He didn't let anybody stay in Denver that night. We came up to Raleigh, stayed in the hotel, and then had to wake up the next morning, like seven or eight o'clock, get back on the bus and go back to Greenville to play. So it was just, it was really crazy. Um, yeah, it was a real long <laughs> night. And you could tell the difference. That first night we were ready to go. I honestly think we would have blown them out of war the first night. Um, but once we went to, back down the second day, I mean, it was like guys were having a hard time kind of getting pumped up for the game. We had people arguing with each other. So it was just a lot going on. That's crazy. Bubba, I know we have some comments here. Yes, uh, one of Kyle's good friends, a Southern Miss guy named James um, down in Hattiesburg, chimes in with, uh, I believe, Tim played against Favre, and and he certainly did in those years. Uh, So what are your memories of Brett Favre? Oh, man, he was one of the biggest quarterbacks I'd ever seen. Um, And he was just – he. But his just knowledge of the game and and then his athletic ability with that knowledge of the game was just unbelievable. You, you know, you know, you always talk about him with that gunslinger mentality. But just back then, he just he just commanded the offense. And I can't remember the running back they had, but that with with Brett Favre at QB and this kid at running back, I think he was like six two, about two twenty five, and just was a he was a horse. He was just a man. Those guys. It was just amazing. Um, I, I just remember the biggest thing I remember about Southern Miss is getting off the plane and we're driving. And it's like it was nothing there. We like, I mean, nothing. Then all of a sudden, this stadium pops up. Like, okay, where did this come from? And um, and just going down and uh, that was I, that game. I remember dislocating my shoulder. I was going down on kickoff coverage, and uh, Andrew Ward was one of my best best friends. He was running beside me. And we still joke about this to this day. This guy, he came out of nowhere and blindsided me. And Drew said, all he remembered was me flying across his face. <laughs> and uh, I remember I got on the sideline and the um, training staff was like, what does it hurt? I'm like, it hurts right here. He was like, but Tim, your arm is down there. I'm like, yeah, it hurts right here. And they, so they, oh, they back in, but it was just, uh, it was amazing. And, I told Drew, I said, please tell me that wasn't Brett Favre to hit me. I know Brett Favre's not on kickoff return, but if that was Brett Favre to hit me, we're going to have a conversation after this game. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, Tim, what was your favorite win? Obviously, we talked about the Carolina win with with Cam. Um, I ain't going to let you choose the Peach Bowl. Something besides the Peach Bowl. My my favorite win when I was playing or when Cameron was there? When when you were playing. When I was playing, I think my favorite win – be honest with you was uh Syracuse. Syracuse, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Syracuse. On the road, first win over a top twenty five team in program history. And uh, you know, and just and I think that that kind of stands in my mind because Jeff, the way he commanded the offense and the plays that he made late in that game to get us in position to win, it was just unbelievable. And you know, that was the atmosphere in that Carrier Dome was just crazy. And that was the first time I had been to the Carrier Dome. So, you know, when I walked in, I'm just like, wow, you know, you hear about it, but to see this thing and then to go up there and pull off that victory, it was, it was just amazing. Um, you know, of course there were, there were some others, but that one, that one stands out in my mind. Um, and when we're talking about Cameron, uh, I think, you know, I love the victories over Carolina, but I think that's that win over NC state. Um, his 
Retro freshman year, I believe it was. 16. I think that was the 25th anniversary of the Peach Bowl that year. So Bill Lewis was back. We were all back. And uh, just to, to be able to then share that feeling with him, how it is to beat that rivalry of NC State. Um, and I remember coming off the field, um, I just, my wife has a picture when we come off the field of Cameron and I just embracing. And I was just, you know, I was just so happy with the with the win, but with the guys, with the way they played. And for now, he and I have that memory to be able to share that type of victory over a common um, opponent. And that game was crazy because the practice before the game, Bill Lewis actually came and spoke to the team. So it was like my first time actually seeing this guy in person that I've heard everything about. And I'm like, wow, he coached my dad. And as soon as uh, we broke it down, everybody's kind of leaving the field. He comes over and he's like, hey, man, it's nice to meet you. I was your dad's coach. And it was like, I knew everything about this man. And I had never seen him a day in my life. So <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of crazy to see. But uh, like you said, that was a great feeling um, and definitely one of the best games that you see that while I was there. Yeah, no doubt. You're talking about the – I know it's a different time, Tim, obviously, but uh, you're talking about Southern Miss and Pitt and Syracuse. I wish uh, we could get those uh, guys back on the schedule because – I really believe that those are kind of like the, I wouldn't say uh, all of them are rivals, but with Southern Miss for sure, James obviously being down there in Hattiesburg, that's uh, uh, obviously a very close friend of Kyle's. But um, Southern Miss is somebody that I wouldn't say every single year, but we definitely need to have them back on the schedule because um, we've had a lot of great memories and some not great memories when we're playing those guys. Um, but they're they're one of the close outside of the in-state schools. They're probably the closest I would say rival. Wouldn't you think, Kyle? Yeah, long term. I mean, yeah. miss games. We, we, we were Southern Independents. Uh, we played each other every year. And then through the Conference USA days, there's just so much history there. You know, I, I know back in the 90s, man, it was Steve Logan and, and Jeff Bauer. Yes. Ooh, Conference USA. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see them back on the schedule, even if it's just a home and home every, every seven or eight years. Yeah, I agree. That would be great. That would be great. Who would you like, uh, Cam? Who would who would you like to see on the schedule? Maybe that's not on the schedule right now. Uh, of course, uh, the the Tar Heels are not on the schedule for some reason. Maybe because we beat them three straight. I'll just mention that again. But schools on the schedule. Is there somebody you would like to play? I know that um, we have the big house. Bubba and Kyle and I'll be there in a couple years, right? Is it twenty three, Bubba? Yeah, Kyle? I think twenty three. Yeah. yeah. Is there anybody, Cam, that you'd like to see us play that we, that we haven't? Somebody you'd like to see on the schedule? Off the top of my head, I couldn't choose one school. Um, I know when I was growing up, the Southern Miss thing was huge to me, too. I would play it on my NCAA football game when I was like 10 or 11, and I would play ECU versus Southern Miss, just kind of that rivalry. But um, right now, I don't I don't know one particular school. Like right, we'll go Southern. We'll go Southern. John Gilbert, if you see this, you hear that. Everybody says play Southern. There you go. <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing Duke kind of, you know, just take yeah. the whole state. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I'll say Duke. Yeah, Duke. We film the schedule here and there. They used to be sprinkled in there. Yeah, we, yeah hopefully we, we can get them back. We do have Wake Forest coming back in, in later this century, uh, or later this decade. So we have Wake Forest coming back. on. Yeah, it would, it would be cool to see Duke back on the schedule. Uh, we haven't played this since 05. That's hard to believe. 
yeah. the Skip Holtz game. Yep. Yeah, those are the. No, I just I love the fact of I know that uh, Kyle and I especially are scheduling nerds and uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, we'll talk later uh, about it, but the scheduling right now is crazy. I want to ask you guys as far as COVID-19 is concerned, uh, how are you guys making out with that? We'll start there. And I was going to ask you, uh, obviously, another question, but how are you guys making out with uh, dealing with COVID-19? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in education up here in uh, Wake County. And so, you know, it was, it was a drastic change to go to complete um, remote learning uh, and working from home. I, I, um, I work at central office in Wake County. So uh, with supporting uh, different schools and teachers. So, you know, getting used to doing um, the, um, the, fake, the Zoom calls and uh, where we use uh, and, and teaching the teachers how to use Google Classroom, you know, that that was a change. And, and of course, wearing the mask, um, being out in public with the mask on, they get a little hot, but you have to have them on. Um, so it's, it, you know, after, after the first two weeks, it kind of started adjusting a little bit more. Uh, but at first it was, it was, it was a big adjust for me, adjustment for me because I'm an, I'm an outside type person and, you know, and I'm a talkative person too. So I love to talk to people. So I had to kind of, you know, be careful and curtail that a little bit. So that was, that was a little bit different. Um, but we're adjusting pretty well. Yeah. I think same, same with me. Um, I've been doing some strength and conditioning work down at Young's in Greenville. So, um, that first, two or three months, we went completely virtual. So I was back here in Raleigh at home and trying to do virtual strength classes is pretty difficult. Um, it's just something different. Not everybody has weights and stuff at home. So just kind of adjusting there. But um, it was, it took a little time to get used to, but I think it was kind of fun being at home. I get to eat all that food and stuff like that. I don't have to buy anything. So that was the good part about it. Yeah. But I, was cooking. I had to also remind him that you know, since he was doing virtual training, that I wasn't one of his clients. Because <laughs> uh, he was like, Dad, you need to try this. Dad, you need to. I'm like, Cameron, I'm not as young as I used to be, and, I, and I'm and i not paying you to train me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so we had, to, we had to establish that, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, do you guys think we're going to start on time? What are your thoughts about the uh, 2020 season here coming up in a few weeks? I don't know. Uh, I want to say we're going to play, but it's like this, this bug in the back of my head that I don't think we are. Um, I, I, it's there. Yeah, it's this. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistically hopeful. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I I think we we're track tracking in the right direction. You know, I I just have I'm torn between it. You know, I want to see them play, but I want to make sure that they're safe. And and that's the scary part when you uh, j- just looking at the major league baseball team. They were talking yesterday. One major league baseball team, I can't remember who it was, had like twenty nine cases. Marlins was it Mar? Yes, Marlins. So then all of a sudden they're saying, "Well, we might just shut major league baseball down." I don't want to see that happen where we get started and then we have to right. shut it down abruptly. Um, you know, because basically that's what happened with school. I remember, you know. I went to work on March the 12th, and then that Monday, that Thursday, I went to work that Friday to have a doctor's appointment. Then Monday, we're sitting at home looking at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
it's been uh, really crazy. I know Bubba's a teacher. His wife, Stacy's a teacher. Then uh, Kyle's wife, Jessica's a teacher. It's just been uh, so surreal with uh, all this. You talk about Google Classroom. I'm like, man, uh, I've got that coming up for nine weeks starting August 17th. And hopefully by Halloween, by that point, we'll uh, start to be back in the classroom or hopefully things will be headed in the right direction. And uh, we've lost two games on the Pirates schedule now with not having obviously Norfolk State. And uh, then we found out last week, I think, South Carolina. So do you guys want to see uh, the Pirates add a couple games or do you are you happy with 10 games? I'm happy with 10, but, you know, I I would prefer, you know, to get as many as possible in, um, you know, uh, but I'm going to take what they give us right now. So if we if we had to take 10, I'll take 10. Uh, but, you know, I would love to see if we could, you know, add that 11th or 12th game, um, uh, make sure, you know, give the guys a little bit more work as well, you know, since they've missed so much right now, those extra games, you know, are just it's nothing like being on the field. Um, you know, you can practice and you can watch all the film you want to, but it's nothing like being on the film, on the field and being live. Yeah, I'm kind of like you, Tim. Uh, if we if we have to play 10, at least we're playing something. But if you, if we're able to go and they say you can play 12, then let, let, let's schedule 12. Let's, let's move that Marshall game back and play a couple of low-level FCS teams to knock the rust off. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Best more friends, friends and family members of Pirate Nation uh, chiming in. Kim Williams Wooten says uh, the UNC game in 2018 was definitely an exciting game. I'm glad to be there supporting you. Um, then also a uh, loyal viewer and listener of the show, Bubba Grant, uh, William Grant chiming in and saying, I'm another Bubba that knows your son's story, Mike Radford. And then also uh, Ron or James, uh, rather, down in uh, Mississippi and Hattiesburg chiming in. Uh, you, you were trying to think of the running back Southern Miss had in 1990. It was Tony Smith. Yes. And then he he, he agrees with, with us saying that uh, Southern Miss fans are certainly want to, wanting to renew. He met, the, obviously, the USM ECU rivalry. But um, – that's one. It was kind of odd to hear Southern Miss certainly had our numbers, but we had a lot more success in Hattiesburg than we did in Greenville. Because I think when we beat them in 2009 in the Conference USA, or to win the division to uh, play in the championship game, that that was only the third time we beat them in Greenville. And so, and I know we beat them a time or two after that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, they did have a little bit more success in Greenville. So maybe if John Gilbert's uh, watching. A question I had for you, Tim, uh, you referenced that victory over the Orangemen uh, as they were back then in the Carrier Dome. And I know Kyle has talked about with him being down east, um, being able to um, get to the airport, uh, like after the Boise State win in the Hawaii Bowl back in 2007. And actually, even though uh, I was in the western part of the state, my family and I, we drove down to 96 when we had that 31-6 win down at uh, Miami in the Orange Bowl. So so just talk about uh, what that was like getting back uh, after multiple games that year and the airport just being nuts. Yeah, it was – It was that was a true show in a pirate nation. Um, you know, you come back and, you know, it's 10, 11 o'clock at night sometimes or later, and you got thousands of people out there just, you know, waiting to see you. You get back on campus, you know, we get to Scott Hall, there's people standing out there 
you know, cheering you on and welcoming you back in. You know, it, it was just, it was an unbelievable sight. I, re I remember um, game, my, my wife and her family uh, at the time, she was, we were dating at the time, but her, her aunt um, and cousins, they, they all came and drove to the airport because at the time we flew into Kinston and uh, um, met us at the airport. And, you know, they were coming from uh, Nashville, North Carolina, right outside of Rocky Mountain. You're familiar with big city of Nashville, North Carolina. Oh yeah, no um, doubt. Yeah, and so they were coming from there and to come up and, and you know to meet us coming back. That was that was very um, very gratifying, you know, to to see that type of support. You know, Tim, what's funny about that situation and, and uh, Cam is that you would think that when you see these uh, fans, these people around the bus, it would be a negative connotation, like they're about like we're lucky to get out of there alive, and instead. Uh, with our fans that were so awesome because I always say that we have the best fans that might sound like a homer, but I really believe that if you look at whenever we do go back to a bowl, there's going to be so many pirate fans there. They're, they're just so thirsty, yeah. so hungry to get back to a bowl. I can't imagine you, that's going to be the hottest ticket in town to get. Definitely. Definitely. It's just, it's just going to be, it's going to be crazy. Um, you know, and, and Cameron, you know, saw it many times, you know, coming down to games where Greenville is just, you know, you is bumper to bumper. People everywhere when you're having 50,000 people in that stand. Um, it's just, it's, you know, I, I joke with people all the time. I said, there's no atmosphere, game atmosphere, pregame atmosphere like ECU. Um, it's just, to me, it's unbelievable. It's a beautiful sight. I've been to several other games and, and it's just that, that, pregame site and that postgame victory site in East Carolina is just just nuts. And when we're winning and, and you step out of your car or truck, whatever you drive, and, and, and you're in the tailgate lots and there's people there, there's, there's all the ladies there looking so fine. And, <laughs> you, smell, you smell the barbecue. You, you get that smoke smell. Mm -hmm. and you, you start walking towards the stadium and you hear the band playing in the distance as they're walking up. And it's just it's electric, man. You get in the stadium and the purple gold cheer before the game, and yes. it just when that stadium's rocking. And then you talk about after the game when the fans are when when, the, when you guys are celebrating on the field after a win, singing ECU victory, and just it just it just leaving the stadium knowing you just beat somebody, you know, an important game, and it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. And it, you know, it's a shame that even if we play this year, unfortunately, you're not going to get the full experience. And right. uh, looking for the day when uh. When, when everything's back to normal, but particularly when power football's back to normal. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think I've said the year three under Houston, which will be 21, is going to be the year that we really have the, the magic. And I think uh, even the sad thing I was telling the guys, the sad thing is even if we have a magical year this year, um, we the fans will be there to see it, unfortunately. You know, the, uh, what was it, Bubba? Is it 12, 7, 12,700 uh, people? If that's 25, if we have uh, guys, we yeah, have Dave, the if we if we were to have if we were to have twenty five percent capacity of Dowdy Ficklin, it'd be twelve thousand seven hundred approximately. Right, and and that seems to be the number that's being talked. Bubba, I don't know if we didn't start that that twenty five percent stuff because I hear Gilbert referencing well, it. I'm starting to think if we didn't start the twenty five percent rumor, but uh, I did hear him the other day saying, you know, maybe as much as forty percent. I don't know where he pulled that number from, but right. um, wow. I would, I would, at this point, man, if we play football, 
with twenty five percent, I'd be as giddy as a schoolgirl. Yes, I'm with you. Yeah. Now, now, Kyle. Yeah, the twenty twenty five percent thing. That was just something I had seen. I know uh, the speedway in Bristol. Uh, I had heard about that, even though I'm not really a, a racing fan. Uh, and then also, uh, I, just other places around the country had been talking about that. So that's that's kind of where that came from. Okay. Yeah. What uh, as far as the I guess future. What are um, you guys being former players, uh, being different eras? Uh, one of the things that I want really bad for the program is an indoor practice facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there things that you want to see uh, as far as down the line? We want things to really grow. I was telling the guys, if you look, and I'll say this publicly, and I may have already on the podcast, but you look at the academic side of things. I know they get state funding, but you look at all these buildings. There are buildings everywhere. And the student housing, there's just which is obviously private stuff. But then when you look at the athletic facilities, you're like, man, we need to have it's like the tale of two cities. We need to have more things there for our athletes. Uh, what are some things that you're in two different eras? But what are things that you see being a former player that you would think that that's how we can really land a recruit? Well, you know, for me, it's, it's funny because, uh, you know, seeing where the campus is now from when I was there. I'm like, man, you guys been living the life. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, you know, being in that Greenville heat and knowing that uh, that Greenville humidity, I definitely one of the major things is that indoor practice facility. I think that can definitely be a game changer. Um, you know, so the other facilities, I, they, I think they've done a great job with those, uh, you know, but we, we got to get that indoor practice facility. Um, I think, you know, Cameron and I talked a lot about, uh, I think it was Clemson and a couple other schools, some of the just minor things they do for some of those kids there, you know, having their own barbers, you know, in the, in right. the facility. Um, you know, I, I, I love all the, the, um, the apartments and everything, but I'm, I'm that old school. I liked it when the, when the players were in Scott dorm together, they were all kind of in that kind of athletic dorm together. Right. You added a whole different different level of camaraderie. Um, but, you know, that's me coming in doing that time frame versus Cam is used to being everybody in different apartment complexes. But the big thing I would like to see is um, that indoor practice facility. Cam, How about the, the, Cam, the CJ2K juice bar, that came in the last year you were there? Yeah. How, how was that? And I know Montgomery used to talk about always needing a training table, and we do have a – uh, under uh, under Coach Houston, we do have a nutritionist on staff now, and uh, they are providing meals for the players now. But uh, talk about, can if, if you will, the, the juice bar. Did it have a big impact the one year you were there? And how much of a difference having a nutritionist on staff, you know, how much of a difference you think that would make now that we do have one? I think it did help a little bit. I know um, just the change in the locker room from my freshman year with Ruff. Um, once Mo came in, we had the locker room change. Like you said, the juice bar and all that. Um, we thought we were living in heaven once we got that. But uh, I think it did help a little bit. Um, even early morning practices, like little, even if it was just little nutrition bars or the muscle milks and stuff, just having that right there in the locker room as you walk in, it helped a lot. I know it helped me gain about five pounds that last year, which I had been needing. Um, but, yeah, with the nutritionist, I think that was something we we had been needing. We had, way behind the times with that. Um, I mean, it's hard as a student athlete when you're at the stadium all day. You don't 
we didn't we didn't want to go to the uh dining hall it wasn't the best food i mean we had to live with it but now having somebody and you have these set meals they're catering food and stuff like that i think is really good especially for keeping weight on guys getting them stronger and stuff like that so i think it's real beneficial no doubt about it. it's very uh it's definitely a time. It's something for me that I think that um, we're, uh, by the way, I was going to tell both of you guys that, and I'll tell the administration, whoever's listening, we are a big time school. Please stop calling us a small school. We are a big school and uh, we need to, we need for everybody to act like we're a big school. I don't care wh- how you fit into Pirate Nation. It's something that really bothers me when people that are in charge or people that are in our, in the fans, as far as Pirate Nation, they refer to us like we're a small school. We're big time. And, uh, both of you, uh, that's why you're both winners. That's why, like, the very, the mindset that you have, if, if you think you're small, you'll be small. And both of you, um, I appreciate y'all being on tonight because, uh, I want to have all the winners out there. I, I, I wish we could have some kind of, I don't know if it's a spring game or we could have all these former guys coming back at one time to really send the message to Houston's doing a great job. Uh, we've got things in the right direction, but I think it's meaningful when we have former players saying, um, you got to go when you put on that purple and gold, you need to expect to win every single game. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely, um, you know, we got to get that mindset there um, that, hey, it's it's grind. It, you know, uh, I hear the guys talk about um, former players and guys I played with. Hey, when we put that, we it's about the work ethic. We put in the work and when we put in the work, good things happen. And that's what we do as Pirates. You know, we we love we don't want, we're not a small school, but we love playing that underdog role where nobody gives us that chance. So as, uh, Cameron says it all the time, uh, and, and what Ruffin says, uh, <laughs> won't some get some, won't some get some, you know, that's right. Um, and, and, and that was the mentality, you know, I remember we had, um, uh, coming in. Uh, I, I remember when I, when we first got on campus, um, uh, it was my freshman year, uh, that recruiting class, Jerry, Dylan, Tom, Scott, Mike, Michaela, Jeff, Blake, Ernie Lewis, Robert Jones. Uh, we all came in and, uh, and I remember Jerry and uh, some of the guys we got together. And one of the things that, um, I can't remember exactly who said it. I remember, you know, it was, it was, Hey, we're going to change the culture here. We will go to a bowl game. We will turn things around here. And that was in 88. And, um, and that was our mindset as that freshman class, as we called ourselves at the time, the last of the Baker boys. Um, that, that was our mindset. And, um, and, you know, when, when those guys hit the field, when they played with everything, they laid everything on the line. And Steve, um, Logan came in and he kept it going. Uh, you know, I, I love talking to the heart boys because they, I mean, those heart guys, that their name is perfect for them because you, they're, those guys have the biggest hearts I've ever seen and love the game of football. And they are truly want some, get some, I will smack you in the mouth. That's right. The kind of, uh, if you want to play for East Carolina, I love when Cliff Godwin is pretty much the same mentality I have, even though I don't play is a very fact. We'll take you on. We'll take you anywhere. If it's a parking lot, we'll play anytime, anywhere, any place. Uh, we've got that chip on our shoulder. And we work harder than everybody else. I know both of y'all, uh, well, you're talking about the practices, uh, certainly with the training. Uh, by the way, before we let you go, we wanted to, um, ask you guys, I know both of you shared a little bit. What are you guys up to now? Uh, well, I, um, 
currently, um, like I said, I'm at Wake County Public Schools. I'm what they call a Title I coordinating teacher. And so I do a lot of teacher trainings and I support teachers at uh, Title I schools with um, the federal funding they get, uh, do teacher trainings. I help run um, a lot of the summer camp programs up here. Uh, been in, this is my 27th year in education. Uh, oh. Taught uh, fourth grade for several years. Taught, I, I was in the classroom for uh, 17 years and then I've been at central office for the last 10 years. And pretty and much you, every school down east is a Title One school. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah here, here we are. I was uh, coach when I was there. And don't you, Bubba said, uh, told me before the interview, don't you have another business on the side? Would you like to promote that? Yes, I do uh, mobile detailing. Um, I've been doing that as a business since uh, 2002, I believe. Um, uh, Cameron and I have been doing it for a long time. I, you know, when, even when he was in grade school, you know, he was third grade, fourth grade. Uh, I taught him how to do the pressure washer. And, and, you know, he would use the pressure washer while I did everything else. And, you know, he made his little bit of money and came home and thought he was rich. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, so awesome. <laughs> and that's really awesome. And Cam, uh, Cam, how about you? You're talking about strength class. So I take it you're doing uh, strength and conditioning coach? Yeah. So uh, I graduated in 2019. And since then, I did my internship at Young's Physical Therapy um, right on Arlington. And I've been there ever since I graduated being a, a strength and conditioning coach there. Um, like I said, we did virtual for a while, but um, definitely doing some strength work down there. And I'm actually, I just finished up some classes what, two days ago. Um, I'm looking to go back to school to be a physical therapist. So um, I'll be applying pretty soon. But in the meantime, I'm in strength and conditioning. Now I'm in Raleigh doing some mobile detailing. So uh, on the move, but I'm still in that kind of in-between land right now. Um, just waiting to figure out where I'll be for the next three years. So do you have any desires to ever coach a cam? I wouldn't mind it. Um, I think I would rather be in like high school uh, than college. I wouldn't mind college, but high school would kind of be my goal to go to, just kind of guiding them and seeing the recruiting process. I think that'd be really cool. I know a lot of the coaches I had in high school I looked up to, so just having that kind of relationship, um, I would definitely coach. Even basketball, that was my first love yeah. was basketball. So I think I'd rather coach basketball than I would football. I don't know. Yeah. We make yeah my, mom, my mom was a physical therapist for 25 years. You get to help a lot of people doing that. So good luck with that. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No, I'm good, guys. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Have really enjoyed this conversation. We had a tremendous uh, amount of viewers turn, uh, tuned in, and I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and spending an hour with us. Thank appreciate you. It. We appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Thanks for what you did for Pirate Nation. Thanks uh, for both of you, uh, what you're doing now, and lo love to have you back on soon, especially whenever we have this football season on. You guys are awesome, so thank you so much, and Love to get that father and son pirate, uh, that, uh, perspective. And, uh, hopefully we can do that in 2020. Oh yeah. Definitely. Just, anytime you want us back, just let us know. We're available. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Have a great night. All right. Thank thank you. You. All right. Great to have them on. Wow. What a great uh, night with them, with Tim and Cam and, uh, gentlemen, that was a lot of fun. I knew it was going to be fun. Uh, Bubba told me that, 
Um, he thought there would be a, a lot of folks uh, watching, and they are tremendous. Uh, guys, did you want to talk uh, a little bit before we go? Uh, certainly lots of stuff to talk about in college football and uh, a lot of crazy stuff happening. Well, I, Bubba, by the way, I think we're going to have to get our friend of the podcast, Mike Yam, back on. Kyle and I were talking about that this morning. Yeah, we definitely, with everything going on with the Pac-12, we certainly need to get Mike back on. We'll see if we can make that happen here in the next few days. Uh, one of the things that I had, Dave, and we got a huge commitment uh, yesterday uh, from Walter Simmons III. Um, I believe he may go by just Trey Simmons, um, but a 6'1 or 6'2, depending on where you look, 180-pound uh, uh, dual-threat quarterback out of Florida, uh, Oak Leaf High School down in Orange Park, Florida. And, I mean, this is a guy – who um, obviously our quarterback room is very full and uh, you would have to think um, that some of those guys will likely be transferring out. Uh, we have, uh, in addition to Holton, you had um, Brian Gag and Alex Flynn who are already on campus. And then you had three more coming in uh, this year. Uh, so Walter Simmons is a guy that we uh, had really zeroed in on. Uh, if we were going to take a quarterback, it was going to be him. Otherwise we pr- probably were not going to take a quarterback in this class. It is our first commitment from the state of Florida. And uh, just taking a look at things right now, um, we have one from Maryland, one from Florida, two from the state of Virginia, two from South Carolina, two from Georgia, and also two from Alabama. And uh, so oddly enough, uh, out of our 10 commits, none from the state of North Carolina, which is concerning. But at the same time, hey, as long as we're bringing in good football players, we win football games, then people in the state of North Carolina, kids who want to, going to want to be a pirate yeah but it is concerning i mean you you, you build i mean yeah you certainly you, you look at the uh the peach bowl year we had probably hardly nobody from north carolina so you can certainly build um build a lot of outside build build a team with a lot of out-of-state talent but uh you know I'd, I'd like to be able to land more in-state guys and i guess over time we will uh it's just a little concerning to me that we're not now um but uh, get the best players you can. You know, don't don't take the the third best player. You, you you're at a position you can get because because he's from in state. So uh, definitely take the best players you can get. And uh, one of the things I want to touch on, guys, was stuff out of the Big Twelve. We talked about our Pac twelve. I'm sorry, talked about bringing in Mike Cam. And uh, if you hadn't had a chance, there's plenty of places to find the article about the demands of the Big Twelve players. There's a group of a hundred players. They said there's more involved. Um, the some of their demands are very reasonable. I think uh, genuine concerns over COVID and making sure their safety's taken care of. I think that's a reasonable request. And uh, even some of the other things they want done, I, I think is reasonable. But asking for half of the revenue from the Pac-12 conference to be split amongst the players uh, is ridiculous. Yeah. It's never going to happen. And when you when you put stuff like that in, it takes away from your real issues and makes – when I see that, I look at all these other issues and I go, well, that's all you want. When, when you got that in there, somebody like me who's a cynic, I, I, that's what draws my attention. And I'm going, well, that's really what this is all about. So if you really have other issues that you're concerned about, address those and then leave that part for another time. If you genuinely are worried about your health, then address that and address maybe some of the social justice issues that you feel need to be addressed and leave that that wanting half the conference revenue out because, like I said, to me, it just it just takes away from all the rest of it. I'm like, that's, that's really what this is all about when I see that in there. Yeah, that's Dave, the one I thing. Had a little bit more about, I had a little bit more very quickly about Trey Simmons on the okay. latest commitment to the Pirates. Uh, he, 
he had offers from the likes of West Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, UVA, USF, UCF, um, LSU, Illinois, Georgia Tech, and several others. So this guy had a huge offer list from some highly successful programs, and I'm very excited to ho- hopefully get him to sign on the dotted line come December. You guys were talking about the quarterback room. I think that uh, it's possible a couple guys could transfer, but also the fact that you have some guys that that are going to move to a different position. They uh, they certainly will get their shot at quarterback, but I think we've seen so many guys over the years that have uh, changed positions, this particular case with quarterback. And I think what it comes down to is there's a lot of great athletes that are at the high school level that are quarterbacks and maybe they move to – I don't know, with wide receiver or they move to uh, DB or different places on the field. Um, but I think when it comes down to if you have a guy like Houston and you know he's a winner and you come to East Carolina, you know that you're going to win. I mean, it's only a matter of time when a whole bunch of wins are going to happen. And you can be that guy or the group of guys that turn things around. When uh, Tim was talking about the, those freshmen that came in that said that they were going to be the last year of Baker, that they were going to be the uh, they were going to turn around the program. That's what we have right now. Is a situation where we can have where we can have guys that can turn the program around, and it just comes down to really good football players, smart football players, great athletes. Yeah, well, you're missing the forest for the trees. It's not going to matter if uh, you, we don't play a football season, and with uh, with what's going on out of the Pac-12 right now, none of that might not matter. As far as the quarterback room, they may all have another year of eligibility because we might not play until 21. Yeah, yeah, and that that will be that will be crazy if that happens, and I hope it doesn't. But you're talking about the springtime. I don't know. It, 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 what's what's happened today with the Pac-12 is very concerning to me, and uh, I think uh, I think it could throw a wrench into everything. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be crazy for sure, and um, I um, that's not something that was really. When you told me about that story, that was a very bizarre, like I get like the first part of what you were talking about, about the safety of the players and obviously with, uh, with COVID-19 and all that stuff. And then to talk about the revenue and that's that sort of stuff. Uh, people forget about, um, you and I were talking about, but you know, I, I remember years ago I was in Raleigh working in radio and there was a gentleman that came in that was working for the Disney Channel. But the, uh, the cost of USC for his daughter to go, there was $63,000. And that was about 2012, something like that. So yeah, I looked that up today. The cost to go to USC right now uh, for in-state tuition for a year is $74,000. Wow. See, it's going up another 11000 So um, the, the fact that you're getting a scholarship at a great university like USC, for example, or let's say UCLA, there's a lot of good schools in the, in the Pac-12, no doubt, and the fa- or anywhere for that matter. So let's say that you're – you're getting um, sixty thousand dollars or seventy three thousand now um, times four, and you're getting a great education. If somebody sees that you have a degree from USC, I mean that's a big deal. And the fact that that program, think about that program. There's a lot of great athletes that have come out of the program that go into the NFL. Yeah, you um, got four thousand dollars worth of scholarship. You, you you got calls of attendance, and we know the being able to monetize your likeness is coming down the pipe probably next year or the year after you're going to be able to get outside revenue from advertisers. Um, so to me, um, asking for half the revenue from the conference is, is a bit of overkill, way overkill. Yeah. Bob, are you there? 
don't know if Bubba's still there. I am. But uh, you guys were referencing talking about bringing in dual threat quarterbacks and the likes of um, most recently, assuming he signs with the Pirates, Trey Simmons. But prior to that, this year, um, Tachi Hudson was one of the three we brought in. Mason Garcia, he's a guy that's more of a just a pure quarterback. Uh, not that Taji couldn't play quarterback effectively. Uh, he's going to get his opportunity to compete for the job, but um, he's a guy that's been mentioned to, you know, have that athleticism to move to a defensive back or a wide receiver, kind of like an Arnie Powell or one of those guys. He's definitely like, uh, what do you say, Bubba, like a Dwayne Harris? He's like that tremendous uh, threat as far as he played quarterback in high school, but you see him maybe moving over. To, I would see him as I my gut feeling. I don't know this, but obviously – spitballing here, but I would say that he would be a wide, a great wide receiver. Yeah, I think Taji's – he probably compares more to an Arnie Powell from the standpoint of his size. I think he's more yeah. like a 6'3 or 6'4, whereas right. Jordan Harris was more compact and stronger. But, uh, yeah, no doubt uh, has that potential to play at another position. And what's the latest, guys, on the, the kid from Oklahoma, if he's still waiting to graduate? Are we just waiting on stuff from the from from compliance, or or is he done with his degree? I believe um, with us starting camp earlier, I think he was kind of in the same boat as Audio Matosho was last season coming in from UCLA, where he just had to fi- finish up some academic requirements to be eligible to be a grad transfer. Yeah. Crazy times we live in, and uh, Kyle, you and we were talking earlier, so I want to bring this up about the schedule. You and I, uh, Bubba, I hadn't had a chance to tell you this. It's been a crazy day. Um, but we were talking earlier about how with the, the schedule looking like now, it looks like now that uh, it's a no-brainer. You would move the August 29th game with uh, Marshall. You move that back to September 12th because Marshall, of course, with playing Pitt on September 12th, they have uh, lost the game with Pitt being in the ACC. And the ACC has gone to pretty much just a uh, 10 plus one, a 10 conference games plus one. So it looks like I think they're going to move the game back to um, – Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they moved the game back to September 12th. I think that's going to happen. I, you know, if we play a full 12-game schedule, I'd like to see us schedule an FCS opponent for uh, Labor Day weekend and knock off some rust before yeah. we play Marshall. Um, if we're going to play 10, then you just start the season with that Marshall game on the 12th. But, uh, one thing I can guarantee you, I can guarantee I ain't going to guarantee anything, but it doesn't make any logical sense to anybody to open up with Marshall on the 29th, then not play again until September 24th against UCF. So maybe you open up on the 29th, and then you schedule another game in between there or either another two games. But uh, I'm pretty sure we're not going to open on the 29th and then play again not until September 24th. That That's just – that seems rather illogical. One thing, guys, I know you had seen this, Kyle. I'm sure, Dave, you may have as well, but I wanted to bring up uh, – our thoughts and prayers are certainly with the Louisiana Lafayette and the Raging Cajun family. Oh, yeah. DJ Looney, 31-year-old assistant coach, died on the practice field of a heart attack. That was crazy. You know, I know that uh, people always say that they um, he died, loved what he was doing. But um, but reading the comments uh, today about that story, about how much people loved him and up being 31 years old is crazy. An up-and-coming coach. You know, like literally uh, the, the love of the players and the fellow coaches and on and on and on. It just it was really sad to see that. And um, anytime you see someone young, but certainly in this particular case with a football coach who's on the field, I mean, that's just really disheartening. Very sad. And 
Uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Bubba. I thought about that this afternoon and mentioned that I had already unfortunately forgot it. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it's awesome prayers to Coach's family and friends and to the uh, entire uh, Raging Cajun community. No doubt about it. We're going to, um, by the way, Bubba, before we go, I want to mention to folks that uh, we have a lot of programming we have that from the past and, and the great stuff coming up. Yeah, we do. Um, 50 Pirates in 50 Days. That's, we're halfway home. Um, it's 25 and 26 tonight. And, and assuming we count that as one or excuse me, two. Um, but, um, so we'll have plenty of those. And then in addition to that, on Tuesday, uh, Rachel Barbo, Sirius XM and changing the narrative against uh, domestic abuse. Um, we'll, we'll have that for you. And then the second part of the seven o'clock hour, we will have uh, Garrett McClintock from BYU's 24-7 site talking about the Cougars scheduling predicament on having the entire month of September wiped out and also their season finale against uh, Stanford. And they had three Pac-12 games that they lost and then also two Big Ten games. So they're certainly scrambling. Uh, and I know our our buddies up at UConn, and we were talking, Kyle, yesterday. Well, they're at seven games as well. I believe they're at nine games. Uh, okay. Yeah, nine. Nine, yeah. And uh, I, so they're, 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 you know, if they want to play a 10 game schedule like a lot of people are, they just need one. And uh, Army, is, to me, is one of the funniest things being an independent. And I believe they've only lost one game. You talk about luck. <laughs> it's definitely on their side. And by the way, I want to show this on the air so you guys maybe not believe me. I got this. My field still. Uh, oh, yeah, I have, I have it also. Uh, and I know you guys had it, but I've had it for about a week now and uh, hadn't had a chance to talk to you guys about that. So I did earlier with you, Kyle. But uh, certainly, uh, by the way, fans, don't forget to get your field still magazine. And if you order it by 1 p.m. Uh, in that business day, then they'll go ahead and ship it out. And I got it very – Kyle, I know you did, and I got mine very, very fast. It was unbelievable. Within a couple of days, bam. I ordered so mine on Friday, came on Monday, and uh, you can also purchase it at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million if you want to grab a copy in person. Ignore the schedules in there because they're irrelevant now. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much uh, blown up. And hopefully uh, – I know they have uh, – Kyle's going to ask you this and Bubba. Uh, they have the – on the – uh, they actually have on your smartphone where you can, or a tablet, you can get the Phil Steel 2020 edition. I would imagine, will, will they, do they update that? I've never got the, uh, uh, no, well, there's really never been any reason to update it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I was significant information, but, uh, when I've got it in the past, no, uh, I have, I have downloaded the digital version, um, because it was always available, available prior to the paper version, not this year. It normally is, um, so I, I, there's been times where I've been impatient, downloaded it, then went and bought the paper version. But, uh, you know, it's a good, they could, and that would be a way to, to sell that mobile app. If Phil wants to take the time to update schedules and roster notes from when he put that magazine out, if we, if we do play, um, that may be an idea for, uh, for Phil, but I would imagine he's probably enjoying a little bit of a mental break before the season starts. Dave, I'm actually the odd man out. I, I have not uh, purchased a Phil Steel yet, so I need to get to Barnes and Noble, books a million, or place an online order and go by and pick it up. So, Bob, I heard it was twenty two or twenty bucks plus seven dollars shipping, and he's a yeah, right. yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, we're members of the media. Might make me out to be a, a tightwad, and that that couldn't be further from the truth. But uh, that would take away from his Chick Fil A money, so. Right. Yeah. In addition to that, uh, 
subscribe on YouTube and we have all these 50 Pirates and 50 Day interviews from the last two summers on there and a playlist to make it easy to find. And then also um, more than 100 old East Carolina football games from 1965 all the way up to present. So if you need the easy button trying to find a former East Carolina game or whether it's 1999 Duke or um, like I said, 1970 East Carolina Marshall, uh, when the horrific plane crash happened uh, several hours later, we had that one as well. Uh, thanks to good family friend Greg Burke, who has that on his channel. Unfortunately, no one has 1997 East Carolina Wake Forest, so it can be uploaded, uploaded to YouTube. If anybody yeah. out there who happens to see this, that's 97 East Carolina Wake Forest was televised on Fox Sports South. Please contact the Sports Objective so I can get a copy of it or just hit me up on Facebook. All right. That'll be fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thanks to Tim and Cam. I uh, appreciate them very much. Thank you, Kyle. You're awesome. Bubba, you're awesome. Appreciate you guys uh, very, very much. And, uh, again, you can get this show uh, anywhere, the podcast. You listen to your favorite podcast, 50 Pirates in 50 Days. You can get on SoundCloud and Anchor. And, of course, we have them archived on our Facebook page and on our, on our YouTube channel. All right, so until next time, you've been watching 50 Pirates in 50 Days right here on the Sports Objective. Go Pirates. Good night, everybody. You've been listening to 50 Pirates in 50 Days on the Sports Objective podcast. Remember, each of these interviews can be seen on our Facebook and YouTube channels, or the audio only can be heard exclusively on SoundCloud and Anchor. Wherever you watch and listen to the show, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe. As always, we appreciate you listening to the Sports Objective Podcast. Go Pirates!